0: Hey, I'm Alan Hunter. You're listening on the Pantheon Network.
1: 92% of households that start the year with Peloton are still active a year later. 92% because of a bike? Not just bikes. We also make treadmills and rowers. Oh, let me guess, for elite athletes only right? Nope. It doesn't matter if you're an avid exerciser or new to working out. Peloton can help you achieve your fitness goals. 92% stick with it. So can you. Try Peloton bikes, tread or row, risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only. Not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. And now another no-brainer money-saving tip from Progressive. That doesn't sound good. The paper shredders jammed, but
2: I think I fixed it.
1: Oh, well try shredding these $50 bills then seems like it's working Mm, better try another 400 bucks instead of using money use regular paper and here's a better tip from progressive on how not to waste money don't pay too much for car insurance drivers who switch and save could save hundreds progressive casualty insurance company and affiliates potential savings will vary
3: Hey everybody, thank you for listening to the Performance Anxiety Podcast on the Pantheon Podcast Network. I am your host, Mark, and I want to thank our sponsor, AKG, for sending us their Podcaster Essentials Kit. If you've ever thought about starting your own podcast, the AKG Podcaster Essentials Kit is the highest quality way to do it. I would like to welcome singer-songwriter Sarah McQuaid to the show. Sarah has been singing since joining a children's choir and was touring before hitting double digits. Even in school she looked at singing like it was a revocation. and That shouldn't be surprising once you discover that both her parents were artists and one of her relatives was a founder of the ACLU and won a Nobel Peace Prize. She discusses her love of traditional music and how that led to her accidentally writing a book. She also describes the similarities between writing a song and having children even if that song is sung in hillbilly Gaelic. She has a new live album out the St. Burian Sessions and it's recorded in a church and it's just her, but it sounds so lush. Pick it up wherever you get music. There's also a limited vinyl release, so grab that while you can. Follow her on Instagram at sarah McQuaid music, and check out her site, sarahmcquaid.com. Follow us at performanceanx on the socials. And you can help support the show at either ko-fi.com slash performanceanxiety or performanceanx.threadless.com. And now please enjoy my wonderful chat with Sarah McQuaid on Performance Anxiety, part of the Pantheon Podcast Network.
0: Yeah, just want me to say, like, this is Sarah McQuaid, and you're listening to the uh, the, the, the Performance Anxiety Podcast. <laughs> Something like that, like a station ID type thing, or, 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 is it, no, it's an intro to the podcast, isn't it? So it's not a station ID. It, it's, I'm Sarah McQuaid, I've got a new album coming out, and, and I'm delighted to talk about it on the Performance Anxiety Podcast, that kind of thing. Yeah? Does that work? Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. I'm Sarah McQuaid, and my new album, The St. Burian Sessions, is just about to be released, and it's a real honor to be invited to talk about it on the Performance Anxiety Podcast. <laughs>
3: All right. Ooh, nice library. Oh, thanks. <laughs> Man, I'm jealous. I'd love to have something like that. But right now I just have that's, bare walls. Bare, that's all right. Bare walls and a bunch of booze behind me. Oh, very good. So Excellent. That's a bad <laughs> always good. That's how my morning's starting, I guess. So thank you so much for joining me. I mean it's I love getting these international ones. This, these are a lot of fun. Oh, just, good. <laughs> just for some reason, just the fact that you're, you know, halfway across the world is just and, and we're sitting here talking and doing a podcast about your music is just to me, it's just fascinating.
0: Yeah, yeah. Technology is wonderful. <laughs> it can be.
3: It can also when you when your Wi-Fi doesn't work, it can also be very frustrating. What I like to do to start off everything is really find out about how you got into music in the first place. And I was doing some research and you've you have. Quite an unusual history, uh, yeah. familially and growing up. You were born in Madrid, is that right? To, yeah. Uh, your mom was an art critic. Your father was an artist. And well, she was she
0: was an artist at the time. She okay. she, she became an art critic later on. But uh, but but when she was in Spain, she was still just making art rather than oh, wow. writing about it. She got more into the writing about it later. Okay. And
3: but you also have a, a very noteworthy great 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 aunt
0: aunt yeah yeah so jane adams that she, she won the nobel been, peace prize yeah she won the nobel she founded the american civil Li- liberties union won the nobel peace prize um, was uh, a big campaigner for peace and social justice and wow. wrote lots of books that's so, amazing so uh, so
3: that you've got quite a lot in your history to do, uh, art and activism and not not a whole lot of accountants
4: no (laughs) more's the pity
2: yeah so although
4: although although I have a bunch of I have a bunch of medical cousins
0: oh so so, so clearly there's there's some practical my my entire family are all either either doctors or musicians that seems to be pretty much it the whole extended family wow yeah that's quite the dichotomy there yeah, it is. I don't know how that happened. <laughs> <laughs> well, when you
3: were growing up, I mean, your music is based in a lot of traditional folk styles. What were you yeah. listening to? I mean, were you a kid listening to that kind of stuff, or were you? I was actually.
0: To- yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, my mother was kind of a, a you know a nineteen sixties folky kind of person, and she she used to play the guitar and sing, you know, and she used to play all these. She used to play folk songs herself and then she was what was she listening to? She was listening to Joan Baez and, you know, Peggy Seeger and Pete Seeger and all these other, you know, and all these kind of more obscure um folk musicians. I I, I remember there was there was one I used to really like when I was little and it was one of those really thick um kind of um oh they're smaller than an LP, but they're like a record and they're oh. really sort of heavy vinyl. Yeah yeah and, what you're talking about? Uh, it's called Minstrel of the Appalachians was the oh. <laughs> name of the record. Oh, and Gene Ritchie, she's a big fan of Gene Ritchie too. So I grew up listening to all that stuff as a as a little kid and and um, you know, and also listened to a lot of the Beatles and a lot of a lot of Beatles, a lot of Joni Mitchell, um, Bob Dylan, you know, people yeah. like that as well, I would hear. And and then I belonged to the Chicago children's choir as well, at the age of um, what was I, six or seven when I joined the choir. So I got exposed to a wildly eclectic um, kind of selection of music from, you know, very strict kind of really old classical music to kind of contemporary, oh, you know, we did the odd show tune we did. (laughs) Uh, we did all kind we did all kinds of and then that kind of contemporary music people like settings of poems by EE e. Cummings, where everything was in lowercase right yeah you know, but it was it was really really eclectic you know and then also um lots of again certain folk songs from different countries you know we did some some spanish folk songs and all kinds of stuff so and that was a really good early introduction to touring as well because we used to go on these big usa-wide tours going you know big long distances in a a tour bus and performing every day and
3: with an entire uh, children's choir that's god i can't imagine going on tour with a whole bunch of eight-year-olds
0: i know i know (laughs) it's it's, uh, (laughs) (laughs) but i have to say we were pro you know we were very and we were expected to be pro and you know we'd We'd have T V appearances and things like that and school concerts where you had to go and perform in schools and oh and man, if you didn't if you if you behaved badly you'd be out, you know. <laughs> <Like you're laughs> not, you know. And also, you weren't—you didn't go on tour. It wasn't the entire choir that went on tour. There were t- groups chosen to go on tour. Oh, uh, okay. So, You know, you had to be—you had to be of a certain level and of a certain professionalism, even at age eight. Or I think I was nine when I went on my first tour with the choir, and I'd been in the choir for like three years at that point. Wow! Know, so.
3: so you were singing, obviously, at an early age. Yeah. When, when did you start picking up instruments? Was guitar your first instrument?
0: Piano was first, actually. I I started playing piano when I was still in nursery school. Oh, Um, wow. Yeah. When I was like four years old, I went to um, the Child Care Center in in I Park in Chicago. And uh, there was a piano in there. And 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 we had a piano at home as well. But I just really loved the piano. And one of the teachers at Child Care Center started just giving me piano lessons voluntarily. Oh, wow. You know, I remember... Beginning piano books and stuff, and then I'd practice more at home. And my mother would show me stuff too, but I was I was much more willing to be taught by my nursery school teacher than I was with my mother. You know, somehow when you, your mother's teaching you music, you just don't want to know about it. Exactly. I found out about that when I, I tried to teach my kids to play music, and it was a disaster. <laughs> they just didn't want to know.
3: <laughs> Something about uh, parents, I I, I know that your kids just don't want to have anything yeah. to do with what you want to do teach them.
0: No. <laughs>
3: <Yeah>. <laughs> I read that you ended up going to college in France. Now, were you performing this entire
0: time uh, up until college? or was... Yeah, pretty well. Well, not, not kind of in a... Right. I, I, I was performing with the choir until when I was 13. We left Chicago and moved to Washington, D.C.
3: Oh, hey. It's and,
2: 90, and so I 90 minutes from where I'm at right now.
0: My, yeah, oh, really? Yeah, where
3: I'm are in, you based? I'm in Winchester. <laughs> Oh, okay, in Virginia. Yeah, likely. I'm in Winchester, Virginia. So I'm a, like 75 miles, 90 minutes due west of D.C.
0: But you're in the mountains, aren't you? Yeah, Absolutely. we're
3: close to the border of West Virginia. So, But yeah. we're right outside um, the Northern Virginia area. So, all right, so back to, um, you moved to D.C.? Yeah,
0: moved to D.C. Um, and um, that was kind of, when I was getting to be a teenager and listening to a lot of Joni Mitchell and getting more into writing songs and i used to get up and sing them at school assemblies and stuff wow. like that you know? so um in the morning at the start of school and- that's something else i don't i i don't think as a teenager
3: i could have gotten up in front of my school and, and done anything i didn't have that kind of confidence in myself i, I don't even know if i still do
0: I guess the choir taught me that because perfor- since it, when you've been performing from like the age of seven, it's kind of second nature and you don't even think about it. That's good point. You good not It doesn't occur to you that this would be, that this is kind of a weird thing to do or that you're, put, you're putting yourself forward in any way. It's kind of, you basically feel like it's your job, ah. <laughs> you know, and you have, you feel a, a sense of work and responsibility at a really early age. And maybe that's kind of a heavy thing to put on a, uh, on a kid, but I never minded it. I was always quite... Quite happy knowing that singing was my job, and I just had to get up and do it whether I felt like it or not. You know, jeez. Oh, uh, you know that, that that it was. I think I think it was kind of a healthy attitude to grow up with. You know, I mean, I I, I know kids. I've got a little cousin. Well, he's my 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 cousin's son, who um, here in England, um, my cousin by marriage, who and uh he was been singing in a cathedral choir i like that he's he he had the same kind of really you know super pro kind of inculcation that i did as a kid and i i don't i don't think it's a bad thing really no, no. but yes, yeah, so 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 standing up in front of the school assembly was kind of nothing I'd, i you know i I'd, I'd sung solos on tv you know <laughs> so, which is wow. a lot more intimidating yeah
2: so,
0: <laughs> so, yeah um so that was fine although it On the other hand, when you're in the school assembly, when you're in, I always think performing in front of your friends, people who actually know you, is always a little scarier than performing in front of strangers. That's a good point. Uh, But yeah, speaking of performance anxiety, (laughs) (laughs) you know, on the podcast here. But um, so let's see. Uh, Yeah, so I was doing songs at school assemblies and stuff, and then when I went to, I went to I went to Haverford College and then going to France was my junior year abroad. You know, that thing where you you go off and study abroad for a year in your third year of of college. So at Haverford, I was doing a similar sort of thing. I I was involved in theater productions and singing. I, you know, I had a singing role in a theater production and, you know, and I'd get up and do my songs at various kind of, I don't know, I don't know what to call them, sort of talent show type things, you know, they weren't called that. I forget what they were called. And and then when I went to France, I just started asking around if there was any band that wanted a singer guitarist. And somebody said, oh, there's this trad Irish band and their singer guitarist is just leaving the country. So they need somebody pretty quickly because they have gigs and um and I went and sang and played for them, and heard them play, and really took to the music in a big way and and liked it, and uh, started performing with them. Oh wow,
3: so were you performing traditional songs at that point? I mean, did you know a lot of yeah, them?
0: that? was all tread that was all so so yeah, so I kind of went from being a singer songwriter in secondary school and college on a very kind of amateur level, you know. Mm-hmm to performing on the professional level as a traditional musician, not doing my own songs, but doing trad Irish material, folk material.
3: So you kind of went backwards in that regard.
0: So I went backwards then. And then when I, well, I'm going to, I'm skipping wildly ahead um, (laughs) chronologically, but then for the, just the, it's only really in the sort of third, fourth and fifth albums that I kind of started recasting myself as a singer songwriter and, not really doing much in the way of traditional and folk stuff because I just got really absorbed in writing songs. And um, there you
2: go. But anyway, you <laughs> we'll
0: continue. Sorry, I, I'm giving
3: long answers to short questions. No, no, that's fine. <laughs> that's what this whole thing's about. That's the kind of stuff that I want to know. All right, so you moved to France, and that's okay, so that's when you started doing the traditional stuff. And then you eventually moved to Ireland for work. Yep. So was that right after college or was did you come back to the yeah. US and
0: Well actually it wasn't right after college it was it was um I graduated from college in 87 and we moved to Ireland in 94. Okay. So it was yeah it was it was um it was 7 years actually I yeah. was so I was working for 7 years in a music shop in Philadelphia called Vintage Instruments and oh, wow. performing with with a trad Irish band based in Philadelphia one member of which was my first husband, Noel McQuaid, uh, whose name I still have, so. Oh, okay, okay. I'm I'm married to a different Irishman (laughs) How did you end up in in music journalism? Well, what happened there was um, I moved to Ireland. I I wrote my guitar book, which was kind of an accident as well. Um, Really? How do you write a book by accident? (laughs) Um, well, I was I was proofreading a friend's book. I had a friend who'd written a, a tutor on how to play the bower on, you know, the Irish frame drum. Okay, and um, and we went into the publisher's office to look at the final proofs on screen before it went to print. And I was proofing the book, and um, and I'd really got into playing guitar in the dadgad tuning at that point, D A D G A D, which is an alternative tuning that a lot of trad Irish players use. Yes, and so. It was as we were leaving and saying goodbye to the publisher that I just sort of said over my shoulder, oh, if you ever want to tune a tutor book on playing dad gad tuned guitar, you know, let me know. And he said, come back, sit down. <laughs> <laughs> I've been looking to, for somebody to write a dad gad book for ages. Wow. If, can you do it? How soon can you have it ready? Oh and God. so, you know, so suddenly I had a book contract. <laughs> and um, wow. Wow. So and so, I wrote this guitar book, which is still in print years later. It's 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 um it's on Hal Leonard publishing, and it's still sold in music shops around the world. I get royalty statements, That's... you know, every every quarter from Hal Leonard, and and people are still buying the thing, which is amazing because, to my mind, it's pretty out of date. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I stupidly included a discography of it of kind of key albums to listen to if you're into playing dad guide guitar. And the book was published in 1995, so the discography is way out of date. (laughs) It needs a little updating. No, it does. And and also it's written in... I I was still pretty juvenile at that point, I think, when I wrote the book and I was really prescriptive and kind of, you must do this, you know, because when you're young, you you think you're right about everything?
3: But that kind of fits in yeah. with Hal Leonard, doesn't it? <laughs> I
0: guess. <laughs> if I was to write the book now, um, I probably would would modify a lot of what I what I said. You know, <laughs> I don't think I'm right about everything yeah. anymore. <laughs> I mean, I'm wrong about most things. You know, so growing up is basically learning all the things that you that you're wrong about that you thought you were right about when you were younger. Oh yeah.
3: Yes, I'm going through all that right now, and my kids are telling me how wrong I am about so many things.
0: Oh yeah, I get told that by my kids too. You You, you don't realize until you have kids the extent to which they're really nothing to do with you. (laughs) You just (laughs) kind of you make them happen somehow, and then it's just created this thing. And I get, you know, and, and songs can feel that way too. I've, I've I, made that analogy before, but I think oh, I it's bet. true that you kind of, you, you bring them into the world and they cease to be yours. Yeah. yeah. Oh,
3: I know. Yeah. They, yeah, they, they just become their yeah. own thing almost immediately. It's just, it's, it's, it's um, but it's amazing to watch. Yeah. True. It's like nothing else, Unless maybe, you know, writing, I, I haven't written a song so I can't make that analogy, but I can understand that one.
0: Well, it's a lot like it, you know, I mean, it's, and it's really painful to yeah. produce as
2: well. <laughs> of course, you don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, all right, anyway. so
3: the thing that I, that, that's really interesting to me is that you've done, like, your first couple albums were uh, a lot of traditional songs, uh, including yeah. singing in Gaelic, I believe.
4: I believe. Sme to live and spear fanically. A Time yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah,
3: is, is that something you knew, or is that did you have to learn it to play with these the traditional Irish bands?
0: Um, well, I I learned. Some songs in Irish, and um, you know, just phonetically, you know, and okay. and then it was actually a really good friend of mine, Irlo Leonard, um, who's quite a well-known Irish singer. He, he had a band. He was in the Afro Celt Sound System for a long time. Oh, wow! So he was the he was the main singer in the Afro Celt Sound System when they first appeared. Oh, wow! That and awesome. um, and he's from the kind of. Uh, region down in Cork and Kerry, where they they speak a very distinctive variety of Irish. There, they have their own kind of dialect. Right. And it was Irlo, it was Irlo who suggested that I sing this particular song, which was actually written by his aunt. He, he was descended from a woman who who wrote a bunch of songs, and so he suggested that I sing. Was she his aunt or his great aunt? I forget. Anyway, she was related to him, and right. and uh, and so he suggested I sing this song, and. And I said, "Oh, I'd be very nervous about you know singing in Irish on an album. And he said, Oh, well, I'll coach you in the pronunciation. So he did. He coached me in the pronunciation. But I had some other Irish-speaking friends who were like from Dublin and uh, who grew up in Irish-speaking families in Dublin and in the west of Ireland. And they thought it was hilarious because <laughs> what I'd basically done is learned to say, if you can imagine the the equivalent would be somebody so a French person may be learning to uh, to a, an American song from somebody from a, like Alabama or something. <laughs> yes. I was I was singing this really kind of Deep Woods, the Irish equivalent of a Deep Woods accent, you know. Oh. And, uh, yeah, that's they, fantastic. And my friend, my Irish speaking friends from Dublin, thought it was very amusing to hear me <laughs> sing. So, <But> anyway,
3: <laughs> oh. <be> my lesson. <laughs> yeah. So, did you change your your pronunciation
0: for the the
3: songs on the second album?
0: Um, no, I stopped singing. Okay. The <laughs> although, <laughs> although in the well, I mean, I sang in other languages. though. like, well, not not the second album. I don't think I had any. But the third album. Oh,
3: maybe that's what I'm thinking of.
0: Yeah, the um, the third album, which is called "The Plum Tree and the Rose," which I recorded after I'd moved to England, and I got really into kind of Elizabethan music and medieval music and there's a song called Saint ni Nipazara which is in an 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 obsolete language so nobody can oh, <laughs> that okay. it's an old occitan which is a language they spoken very widely in the south of France back in the in the 13th century when the song is from That's one of my so. favorite songs on that album
4: It's a magical song, isn't
3: it? It is amazing, and it okay. So, I, I mistakenly thought that was some kind of Gaelic or Irish thing. Okay, so
2: yeah. glad you cleared that one up. Old Oxitone.
3: but between those two albums, you did your album, I Won't Go Home Till Morning. At the same time, you also did an album with Zoe Pollock, yeah, Mama. And both those albums hmm. have deep Americana roots. What was going on back then that you switched from going traditional Irish to to two albums worth of Americana stuff in the same year.
0: You know, you're the first person who's, who's ever described the, the Mama album as, as an Americana album, which which I'm flattered by. That, it's great, you know, but, <laughs> but it's funny that it hadn't occurred to me because Zoe is English, you know, and okay. it's all songs that I co-wrote with her, and so I, I thought of that as being, I don't know, quite a different thing, kind of, I, I don't know, neo-folk maybe call it, or alternative, or... I get like... An, a little out here. You know? I I'd say if
3: I hear a lot of like Western Americana kind of stuff. Like, um...
0: yeah, I suppose because it was songs that I co-wrote. A lot of me came into it, okay. and so it became kind of that. Maybe gave it more of an Americana feel, you know.
4: Open your eyes. Welcome the morning. Look at the trees. morning sunshine.
0: But yeah, what happened? What, what the right I'd made the first album, the mostly trad Irish one, because i had been living in Ireland and learning all these trad songs and really wanted to record them. And, yeah. And then um, I made the second album right after my mother died. And so it's all songs that I associated with her. Either There are a couple of songs that I actually wrote about her on that album, and uh, one of which I've just re-recorded on the new album. And then there were, you know, a lot of songs that she used to sing, you know, sort of old American folk songs that I learned from her. So that's how that one came about. And and I'd recorded that actually before I moved to England, just before I moved, but it didn't come out until... I'd made the move. Then then I moved to England and I'm, and I met Zoe because our kids were going to the same tiny little school in, in far west Cornwall. A very small school, only about twenty odd kids in the whole school. Wow. So you got to know parents. It was a real kind of family thing and and it wasn't until I'd got to be friends with Zoe that I found out she was this massive pop star in England. She'd had a huge hit single, went was in the top five of the UK charts for 16 weeks and yeah. was the big kind of dance hit, kind of get everybody out on the dance floor at the end of the night and all the discos in Avisa and all those places. In nineteen nineteen ninety one was her big hit. Um, it was called Sunshine on a Rainy Day. It was, it, she was on... You know, you can still look up YouTube and see the video of her on top of the Pops right. singing, you know, and dancing. And, um, <laughs> but I didn't know about I'd probably have been much more intimidated if I'd known all that before I got to be friends <laughs> with her. But I only kind of found it out later. And, and we started writing songs together. And that's what really got me into the songwriting. Partly because Zoe taught me so much about songwriting. I mean, I really... Uh-huh. Uh, you know, I learned so much from her. I'm really indebted to her. I mean, I mean, basically, the main thing I learned from her is that there are no rules. You know? yeah. <laughs> I, learned, <laughs> I learned that you can, you can, as long as there's a structure, it doesn't have to have, I kind of came into it with songwriting with the attitude that, oh, you need a verse and a middle eight and a chorus. And Zoe taught me you don't need any of that. As long as the song has a structure, it doesn't matter what that structure is, it can be anything. Wow. Um, obviously, it needs to it needs to go somewhere as a song. People right. Need to, you know, it, it needs a beginning, a middle, and an end, yeah. you know, but it doesn't need two verses and a chorus, you know. So that was that was a real revelation, and then just writing with her was fantastic. I mean, we, the songs were very much collaborations. Um, And I should add that I I learned a lot also about songwriting from, from Jerry O'Byrne who produced my first three albums. And we, we started co-writing as well, but uh, I co-wrote with Jerry after I co-wrote with Zoe, I guess it was co-writing with Zoe that made me sort of realize, you know, a song can really be greater than the, the sum of the parts kind of thing if you're working with somebody else. And so on the third album, which came out after, after the MAMA album. There are, there are several songs that I co-wrote with Jerry O'Byrne as well. And I, I learned so much from both of them.
3: We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. I want to take a minute and talk about our sponsor, Tiesta Tea. Tiesta is a tea company on a mission to create loose-leaf tea beverages with premium ingredients that taste good, And do good. Each tea is blended for one of five categories so you can energize, slenderize, boost antioxidants, boost immunity, and relax. My current favorite is Blueberry Wild Chow. You know, when I was growing up, my dad always told me once you go loose, you never go bagged. And you know what? He was right. Go to tiestatea.com and use the promo code anxiety15 at checkout to get 15% off your order. Think you know tea? You haven't tried Tiesta tea.
0: Sorry, what's the question no. I'm answering? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, Americana. Yeah, Americana yeah. <laughs> to, the, to, the, to the Mama album. But yeah, we were, I don't know, we were just writing what we felt like writing without any particular views as to genre or what audience we were aiming for or anything, and I, which I also think is a really good thing. I don't, yeah. I don't,
3: oh, it, absolutely. It's a
0: good idea to try and aim for any set audience or I think genre that, style.
3: That'll almost guarantee failure yeah but I, so I was looking at the tracks I mean I love West Virginia boys because I live so close to the West Virginia border that mm. I, that's basically the advice I gave my daughters so. yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's um, quite that's a reputation my mother,
0: around my here she, she used to sing that so.
3: <laughs> yeah West Virginia guys have quite a reputation around here
4: when it comes to court you whisper in your ear first it's honey lamb and then it's dear after you're married no such thing Get up and fix my breakfast, you good-for-nothing thing. Get up and fix my breakfast, you good-for-nothing thing. Come on, all you Virginia gals, and listen to my noise. Don't you mess around with West Virginia, boy.
3: But I also <laughs> love the song East Virginia. I've heard a few oh, yeah. a few different artists do, do it, and, and I love your version. I just... Oh, thank you. I do love that song, just in general, but your version is fantastic. in having some folk artists on and with you and others, a lot of the traditional songs are about loss and sorrow and death. Oh, and God. with your delivery, your your voice, and it, it's just the songs that I've, I've heard a lot in the past, when you're doing them, I would, I'm at work listening to these things and I'm tearing up and people are looking oh. at me and I'm like, I'm not crying, it's allergies. It's but- <laughs> allergies. But it's you. Your delivery is just so amazing. It's, it's it's so heartfelt and so it it seems so honest. And that's what I love oh. about your your music. And I looked up some reviews, and I have I think I have saw some of these, and I I know you've seen them. But I have a question about how people review your voice. I guess because your vocals have been called chocolatey with a cinnamon roasted smokiness. <laughs> and I'm really not even sure what to do with these, but it's making me hungry.
0: <laughs> I, I'm very same. It's I mean, like, yeah, whatever. I'll take it. <laughs>
3: I, I imagine food references to your voice are good. I yeah, mean, yeah. You don't want sound, you know, her voice is like, you know, a can of tuna. I mean, that would be bad, but if there's, and there, there's also a voice as thick and soft as fur.
0: Yeah, Elmore said that.
3: That, that is amazing. <laughs> but it's it, they're accurate, and I, it, it, that's I think maybe that's what what draws me to your music and your vocals is just that it's it's so warm and inviting, and even with the sad songs, it's just I just I can't stop listening. It's there's just uh-huh. a wonderful quality to it, even if uh-huh. it is reminiscent of food. <laughs>
0: Yeah, you know, I, I, I think I, what I get told a lot is I have a very distinctive voice. I got—I I really liked There's a recent review that I'm quoting at the top of my website now that says I'm one of the most instantly recognizable voices in current music. And it's true. I don't know. I don't sound like anybody else. No. I sound, it, it's, it's, it's a quite a unique voice, whether you like it or not, or whether it's <laughs> good, bad, or indifferent voice. It's definitely a unique voice. It's not. And uh, and people seem to seem to really respond to it, you know.
3: I think my favorite review though is ausgesprochen wohl durchdachte Songs und Melodien. Das ist subtile, finanige und beat.": I think I said that correctly. I-
0: uh, the only word I recognized was "arbite." Yeah. Oh, no, 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 did I did I translate it, or did somebody translate it? I've got. To... I think it's translated as
3: "exquisitely thoughtful songs and melodies expressing subtlety, sensitivity, and meticulous craftsmanship." Ah, uh,
0: craftsmanship. Yeah. This... Be the yeah. I think it could have been my
3: my delivery. Maybe, maybe my uh... pronunciation of the words. Maybe I was like an Alabama German.
0: Sure, sure, my German is terrible. So <laughs> my I speak not a little German. I I attempt to speak German on stage, you know, but it's it's usually it's it's for comedy comedy effect, you know. People <laughs> laugh. <laughs> upright. All I have to do is say das Buch ist auf dem Tisch, and people fall apart laughing. You know, so <laughs> I don't even know what that means. It means the book is on the table. Oh, all I have to say on
2: stage.
3: <laughs> well, my German's non existent, so it's. Much better than mine. It's I, I do the Conan O'Brien method of, of speaking German. I just throw things out and occasionally it sounds like a word.
0: Yeah, also good. Also good. <laughs> it's a really useful word in, in German that I learned. I, I tour a lot in Germany. So every time I or I did before everything, but um yeah. I, I, I had been touring in Germany for years and, and every time I go there I learn a new word and, and, and a wonderful new word I, I learned, it's it's Gnau, which just basically means Yep. Okay, exactly. Yeah, that's it. Just so, you know. So if you're having a conversation with somebody in German, all you have to do is say, get out, get out, get out, get out, get out, get out. And yeah, it's great.
3: That is good to know. That'll do you. (laughs) What (laughs) do you need? (laughs) (laughs) So your third album, you end up doing more more of your own material.
0: Mm, Yeah. What happened was I'd actually started recording that album before had i had I, I i'd started writing the i i'd started recording the album and um i think i had just around the time i was finishing the the mama album. i'm not 100 sure of the chronology of this but anyway um i'd started recording the album and i originally conceived it as being very much sort of all that elizabethan medieval stuff and maybe one of my own songs or two you know okay and I actually went to, yeah, I went over to Ireland and I recorded the whole, uh, what I thought was a whole album. And it wasn't quite ready, it wasn't quite finished, and I went back home again. And and then I started writing a whole bunch of songs. I just started really getting into songwriting. And... Um, and I wound up going back to Ireland again two years later and recording all these new songs and ditching half <laughs> of what I'd recorded previously and you know, sticking all the new stuff on. And it's amazing that it holds together as an album at all, but it does seem to. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, so, so that album is basically my transition kind of from, from folk singer to songwriter. But you and, do do a,
3: a really cool John Martin cover,
0: though. Oh, yeah. I well, love John Mark. I, I, I always believe in having at least one cover song on, on all of my albums. I just think it's really that. good to try and, I don't know, feel your way into another songwriter's head. So actually, I've got two new cover songs on the new album, which I hadn't recorded before. They're they're completely new songs for me. Yeah. And, uh, and I'm really glad that I did one of them because it's by Michael Chapman, who who died yesterday, which I, I yeah. don't want to say. Talk about because I'll start bursting into tears. Right. But, uh, but anyway, <laughs> but yeah, I'm glad I recorded his song. Yeah.
3: The song Lift You Up and, and Let You Fly really hit me kind of hard because that's kind of where, and, and I'm sure you're at that same point right now. That's where we're yeah. at with our kids.
0: It is, yeah. And yeah. It's,
3: it's just, that was one of the ones that I was talking about where I, I would just kind of like, my eyes started getting wet and I'm just like, I can't be doing this at work. Yeah. So.
4: <laughs> if your feathers fell you I'll try to catch you as you fall But when I set you free And you fly away from me I know you might not
3: Album, walking into White. Yeah. I have a question about this for you. Mm. This has to be on purpose. You went from one Cornwall to another to record <laughs> that album that had
2: that was to be on an, it was, it was,
0: there was kind of an accident, <laughs> I, mean, really? I thought it was so cool. Yeah. I, at, that, at the point when I made Walking, to, when, I, when I was starting to think about Walking into White, I'd made three albums with Jerry O'Byrne as producer, and he'd done a beautiful job producing um, albums for me, and I really loved co-writing with him as well, so much that I, I got him to co-write songs for me from for the fifth, fourth and fifth albums, um, which he didn't produce, but I still wanted him involved as a co-writer. Okay. But I thought it's really time for me to try working with a different producer and maybe kind of get work with somebody who's not, from a folk background, you know, work with right. somebody who'd come at it from a completely different direction, you know, and um, and just shake me up and, and get me to do things in a different way. Because I kind of felt like, it, you know, if I make another album, it'll just, I'll start getting, it, the way I've done before, I'm going to start getting into a rut. And I really yeah. didn't want to get into a rut. I wanted to keep it fresh and new. And so I asked my cousin, Adam Pierce, if he would re- produce my new album. And Adam is a really fantastic um, multi-instrumentalist. He's one of these annoying people who can play everything really well. He plays, he's not
3: not the doctor.
0: No, no, no. He's a musician, <laughs> trumpet, piano, piano, guitar all sorts of, all sorts of different instruments and he played he plays with a, a really cool um indie band called the swirlies and he also has his own band which is called mice parade which is an anagram of his name mice <laughs> parade is an anagram of adam pierce and <laughs> and he works with a record label called fat cat which again is a very cool kind of indie lab, label yeah. and and so very very different kind of approach to music for me and um And so he very kindly agreed to produce my fourth album, Walking Into White. And I went over to the USA to record it. And he happened at that point to have his studio in Cornwall, New York. He's moved since. (laughs) He's uh, he's outside Hudson, New York now. But yeah, he was in Cornwall, New York. And uh, in fact, my album was the last album to be recorded there. Oh, wow. Uh, So yeah, I was... um, really happy that I got a chance to record there in that studio. So was uh, he the,
3: the influence that brought in some electric instrumentation, some piano, and horns, was that his influence?
0: Yeah. Well, I'd had horns on the previous album. I'd had keyboards on oh, yeah. all these albums. Um, I, in fact, yeah, I think that, but, but yeah, certainly some of the um he he definitely gave the album a much more electric sound he played he played electric guitar on a couple of tracks i hadn't started playing electric yet that came with the fifth album okay but yeah adam um he was really into his kind of kind of lo-fi sounds and doing interesting things like um oh he'd have a, a cassette tape on a microphone's st- a cassette tape recorder on a microphone stand okay. and he'd be recording my voice into that cassette tape recorder and then looping it on into the um into the desk you know into the board and okay, and wow. doing all kinds of weird things sticking stuff from analog <laughs> digital to analog and back to digital again and i you know it just he was really interested in the kind of sonic aspects of of the material and miking up instruments in weird ways. I, I, like even, even my acoustic guitar he had going through an old Laney amp and oh. and miking, that, miking up the amp, you know, and blending the sound of the acoustic guitar going through an amp and being miked up with the actual acoustic guitar itself. You know, just really interesting things. And he had really interesting ideas about songs, too. He was, even though he doesn't, I mean, if he w- if he wasn't the generous guy he is, he'd probably be getting a writing credit because the songs all went in and came out half the length, you know, that they'd been. Um, yeah. He was a. There's a lot of really short songs on that album. You yeah. don't find many short songs on so before since, but um is- he made me cut them down, you know. And oh my God, it's killing your darlings, you know. Yeah. But, um, and I don't know if it's necessary always right you know but but I'm glad that he, he he cut all the songs down to their essence which I which I really like And I really liked the way that album worked as an album too.
3: You mentioned him doing some interesting things with your vocals is that where the uh, that sweetness and pain triptych kind of came from? because yeah. there's a really cool quality yeah. to your vocals.
0: Yeah, yeah. Oh, I don't know what he did, but he did, he did. It, I think that might have been the one where he used, one of the ones where he used the cassette tape recorder. It
3: kind of sounds like there's a little, like a little hiss yeah. in it that's really yeah. wild. And I I love the, the song Yellowstone, which you also redid for the new album. Is, is That has yeah. to be a real story. Is that, a, is, is that something yeah. that happened?
4: My son can't sleep. He's 10 years old scared of the
0: Um, it starts up, my son can't sleep, he's 10 years old, and he was 10 years old when I wrote that song. He's <laughs> 18 now. Um, but yeah, he was having trouble sleeping and um, just lying awake and worrying about stuff. So I said to him, well, the thing to do is write down everything you're worried about. Just write it down on pieces of paper, and then your worries can be on the paper. They don't have to rattle around in your head anymore. And you might start sleeping better. And he did, and he started sleeping better. But of course, I had to go and look at the pieces of paper. <laughs> he'd yeah. written. And he was worried about all kinds of things. But one of the things he was worried about was the volcano underneath Yellowstone. You know, there's this underground volcano under Yellowstone, and there was this, I mean, God, we we've got so many more things to worry about now yes. but at the time back back in 2017 or whatever it was the thing a lot of people were worried about this the fact that this underground volcano could erupt at some point and that it would set off a big chain reaction of volcanoes all around the globe and yeah you know trigger the apocalypse i remember know? that yeah and uh, and that was a real worry for him and and so and i i thought about that and i thought it's a really strong image and i thought it's it also struck me as a really strong metaphor. I think nearly all of the songs I write are just start out as images and become metaphors, you know? That's, yeah. that's kind of what drives me. And so I, uh, yeah, I was thinking about this, you know, this simmering underground volcano that you're treading carefully over and worrying that it's going to erupt at any moment. That life is like that a lot. And yeah. so that's, that's what I wrote that song about.
3: The next album... If we dig any deeper, it could get dangerous. There's definitely some more aggressive guitar in it, some distortion. Was there any pushback from fans when that album came out? Or was everybody basically like, this is fine?
0: I got that more with Walking Into White, actually. A lot of my fans hated Walking Into White. They didn't like the... Wow. Oh in fact it got it, it got quite an indifferent review in one folk publication you know which wow. had which had given a rave reviews to all my previous albums you know but they really didn't like Walking into White you oh, know Oh man yeah so uh, although then conversely loads of people loved Walking into White and it got nominated for album of the year and all kinds of things you know so you know <laughs> you, you can't please everybody, everybody. Yeah. You got to please yourself, really. Exactly. But I mean, I'm I'm really happy with that album, and I'm also happy with it if we dig any deeper. But the th- the chain, the big change with it, if we dig any deeper, it could get dangerous. Is Michael Chapman produced it, and he got me playing playing electric guitar, which Adam hadn't done. Adam played electric guitar himself on my yeah. on, on Walking Into White, but it was Michael who put a, an electric guitar in my hands and said, "Play this." Wow. And um, and it was just a real revelation because it would never have occurred to me to play electric guitar i just i thought i was all about acoustic guitars and the beautiful sound produced by wood and Ah. you know hollowness and wood and you know acoustics and string and but it was only when i picked up the electric guitar and started playing it and twiddling things and looking at the different sounds i could make and then putting it through pedals oh my god you know that i was like no, this is a whole new sonic world that I can take advantage of. I can make lots of different sounds. This is this is like broadening my horizons, and and I still love acoustic guitar as well, and uh, you know. But I, I wrote um, a bunch of stuff on electric for that album. And then I also got my courage up. He said, actually, it was Martin Stansbury, my sound engineer and manager who also produced the new album, who suggested I do something on piano. He said, well, you know, you're doing electric guitar. Why don't you do something on piano? And uh, and so I started playing. Uh, I, I did one track on, on keyboard on that album. And then I've done two for the new album. So, yeah, it's it's nice to be able to kind of grow and expand and and develop as an artist and to, to not be doing the same thing over and over again, you know?
3: Other changes is the artwork. Your first four albums had this has this big, beautiful, bright artwork, and then if we dig any deeper, has more sparse artworks, uh, more sketch like. Was that all part of the the change from going from acoustic to electric? I mean, you just kind of breaking free from some of what you were doing in the
0: past. Um, well, my my first four albums had, had artwork by a really good friend of mine, Mary Guinan, who's also done all of my graphic design. Mm-hmm. You know. And I sent her my ideas for if we dig any deeper it could get dangerous. And um she was really struggling with it. She was like, I, I can't think of anything and I, you know, nothing I do makes me happy. And I I'm just really I'm not really feeling the artwork for this one. You know, <laughs> wow. she has kind of strong images in her head for the other ones. And and so I was doodling and I the, you know, the first line of the title track is there's a boy in the garden with a shovel and a spade, and I just do did a doodle of a shuttle, shovel and a spade and then I stuck, stuck some guitar strings on the spade. And I thought, you know, that's a pretty cool doodle. Um and I sent to Mary and I said, what do you think about just having this as the art album cover? And she said, Yes, great. You know? And she said, can you just and can you like handwrite the album title as well? I think it would be really nice to have the handwritten album title beside the, you know, beside your your doodled artwork, you know, have it yeah. really be homemade. And so I did that and and you, that kind of became my new logo if you like, you know. Yeah, and I guess you know, and, and then for the new album I, I I not only did my own cover artwork, I also did like, like little doodles basically to um to go with each of the songs, yes. you know, which has been kind of the the sort of covers of the of the videos and they're also um they're also in the album artwork as well in the in the cd booklet and the lp sleeve
3: yeah so, I, uh, I did get a chance to see some of those and it, i love how they match up with the song titles it's great
0: yeah yeah i just did kind of little doodles inspired by each of the song titles you know and i don't i don't pretend to be uh <laughs> you know uh an artist as such you know but but it's i like drawing and doodling and um and i guess i guess it sort of brings an extra level of authenticity to the whole thing and and it puts me in a whole lovely line of um artists who've done their own album artwork like joni mitchell and cat stevens Bob and even people i grew up listening to yeah so yeah <laughs>
3: Yeah. Before we get into the, the new album, I have one question that I, I did see something in it. I have no idea what this is, so I was wondering if you could explain it for me. I saw a line that says, your diverse work has also explored three-part round singing. What oh, is three-part uh, round singing?
0: That's just the little canon in, in Derby Cathedral, you know? In Darby, um, because it's a, a three-part round is row, row, row your boat, you know? It's... Oh.
4: it's uh, Anything or see people singing canon, you know? In Derby Cathedral, I found my last home. My soul free to roam, my name carved in stone. Free to, free to, roll. to my name carved carved in stone, stone. My, Soul to the free to roll. my name carved in stone in dis- okay like
0: the same thing and another voice comes in another voice comes in and I, I guess because of growing up with the choir I kind of liked that form of singing and then Martin my wonderful sound engineer figured out a way using a tap delay that I could do. You know, that I could sing a three-part round with myself on stage live. You know, <laughs> so I, did, awesome. uh, yeah, I did. I re-record. I did in Darby Cathedral for the new album as well. Yeah. Because yeah. okay. on the on the original recording on um the plum tree and the rose, you know, it was all I. You know, I, I, I overdubbed, right. whereas when I, I can now do the song live without overdubbing by just using that tap delay to have my voice repeat. It's, it's always walking a tightrope, because if you don't get it, the tempo right the first time, <laughs> it's a disaster. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but it's fun. That brings us
3: to the new album, mm. St. Burian Sessions. How did this come about? I mean, it's a new album. It's live. It's just you how did you pick the songs for this? Cause there's most of it is songs from your prior albums. There's a few new tracks, but yeah. how did you choose the songs?
0: Um, they were all songs that, that I felt like the songs had kind of grown and developed and maybe changed in some way since I originally recorded them. And I, I'd been playing them live and they'd kind of developed as I'd been playing them live. And I, I wanted to, capture them as they were live you know okay. because you know I, I mean not that i disavow i love the studio versions of all the songs too you know yeah but all the songs have become kind of different animals you know <laughs> over the course of performing them live and i and i also i would really wanted for a long time to make a live album because i I'd, I'd felt like there's something in a live performance that you just never quite get in studio yeah. you know there's a certain i don't know energy or magic that yeah. you get performing live. And I, I wanted to capture that. And, um, and I'd been thinking vaguely about doing it for a long time. And then, of course, COVID hit and I was on tour in Germany and had to rush home. And, you know, and, um, yeah, before the borders closed, it was all very touch and go. That's and, uh, yeah, getting one of the last ferries and, and got home. And it was like, oh, OK, what do I do now? And I thought, maybe this is, and I, to be honest, I really didn't feel like writing. I was pretty devastated by the whole COVID thing. And I really didn't feel like writing new material. I just wasn't in the mood to do that. And, and I thought, what can I do? And I thought, maybe I can make that live album. And I don't have to write new material. I can revisit the old material that's grown and changed and developed and, yeah. you know, record those songs as they are now, and they'll yeah. be new and different. And then also do a couple of new covers, you know, um, that I haven't recorded before. So, and I, I wanted to also capture it on video. I, I just, as a record of the performances of the live performances, and also because it, uh, to give me just some content to put out there while I couldn't tour to kind of keep in touch with, I hate to use the word fans, right. with, keep in touch with people who like my music. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Sarah McLean <laughs> enthusiasts.
2: Uh,
4: yeah but
0: um yeah, and foodies because
3: so, of your chocolate cinnamon smoked voice,
0: yeah exactly, so I did a a crowdfunder, which is something I've never done before, but i I didn't see any way of getting the money together and and people were wonderful and generous and yeah. And gave the money, and it also enabled me to give some work to people who were also thrown out of work by, by COVID. Yeah. Um, people like Martin, my sound engineer, you know, who not only lost all his work with me, but he'd also been working a lot in places, you know, in, in for festivals and, you know, running sound in big theaters and things like that. Yeah, And, uh, you know, all that was gone as well. So, yeah, I went into this beautiful old medieval church just up the road from where i live okay. um, it, it's my local church and uh it's parts of it date back to the 11th century and most of its 15th century wow. and it's just a stunning space and i thought well we can't have an audience you know obviously so if i'm gonna perform since i can't have an audience i need something else to give the performance that that energy and that quality you know and and i thought if i go into a really magical space and it's also just visually beautiful so if i'm going to video it you know i don't want you know i don't want just a black box you know i want hey. something for people to look at besides me you yeah. know? <laughs> <laughs> and so it was lovely um the the um uh, i had two cameramen Morgan lewis who who actually was authored the video and and it was the it was the the kind of director of the of the shoot and and then another guy called john crooks who's worked a lot this big outdoor concert series here in cornwall called the eden sessions um which are always televised and and john had worked as a cameraman on that so what he didn't know about about doing live camera work for live performances you know i mean he's done (laughs) all kinds of famous artists you know yeah and you know you know all kinds of you know big big stars you know so so i had this really crack team you know to to do the recording and the video videoing and all i had to do was get up and and, and play and sing and um just give it the best performance i could live solo as i would be doing if i were in concert because that's another thing that you know my albums i always had guests on my albums because i just think it's it's nice to have guests and yeah. it makes it interesting but there was no album where people would hear a song as they would hear it live, because I always perform solo. Right. Partly because just can't afford to bring a band on the road with me. It's, <laughs> it's, it's expensive enough as is, yeah. and also because I feel like I, I really love what part of what I love about performing is the connection you get with the audience, mm. the the kind of the the kind of back and forth that you get with an audience and I don't feel like you get that to the same extent when you've got a band on stage because the energy on when you there's a band on stage it's going back and forth between you and the other musicians and that's lovely and magical too but there's a connection that you get with the audience as a solo performer that I yeah. think you really have to be a solo performer to get so I do love performing solo and I wanted to again just just have a a record of literally you know a record of what of what I do you okay. know and, and just commit that to audio
3: and video. One of my favorite tracks on it is uh, One Sparrow Down.
4: There's a sparrow at my window and he's spoiling for a fight. He's attacking his reflection and he's puffing out with pride. He doesn't see the cat. He's watching from the windowsill inside. He stares at him intently with her gorgeous golden eyes while he flaps and struts and chatters in a futile love, Oh,
3: yeah. I love the way that changed from the album to the, the live version, and I love the little meow at the end. Oh, that... uh,
0: yeah. Yeah, so for the album, for the album, I had a fantastic percussionist, a guy called Roger Luxton, and he he did percussion on all, all of the tracks on that album, and he or nearly all there's a few tracks that wouldn't have percussion but most of them do and and on that particular track one sparrow down he just went to town and he played everything from a wine bottle to a a radiator to an oven grill to all kinds of crazy things just found objects um using them to make sounds and uh so it's got this wild percussion part and then we also recorded there was a pheasant kind of wandering around beside the studio and martin went out with the microphone and recorded the pheasant and wow. and i actually recorded my cat meowing at home with with an iphone <laughs> but then i really wanted to do the song live in my live set and obviously i couldn't have roger couldn't have the pheasant couldn't have the cat yes. and so i'd always wanted to learn to play the drums <laughs> and uh, you know always one of those long-held ambitions that i never quite got to and um and so I said to Roger, you know, could you give me a is there something kind of really basic drum, like just a single drum that I can play? And he said, Yeah, yeah, get yourself a floor tom, you know, and I'll teach you how to play a riff on it. And so, so I got myself a, a lovely old vintage 1970s floor tom uh, by Premier Olympic. And uh, Roger came over to the house and he said, So all you have to do is just do this bum bum dum bum 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 and can you do that? And I was like, eh. Yeah, actually, I, can, I that I can do. You know? <laughs> so, yeah, I you know, I, I'd like to learn how to play the drums a little better at some point. We, Roger was always going to give me some more lessons, but he never did, but I can play that. <laughs> and um, so, so. and I didn't have, obviously, the cat or the pheasant either, you know, and so when I, when I do it the audience, I tend to get the audience involved and to get them making random animal noises, and we get all kinds of weird
2: stuff going on.
0: That's in percussion. awesome but um i didn't have any of that in the church so i just did my own percussion and and i just threw in the the meow at the end <laughs> and uh, i love that I-,
3: I love the album because as as a whole it's got this like sparse but still like really rich quality it reminds me a lot of some of the great folk albums from the 70s, you know, people like Jim like Croce, Carole King, James Taylor, yeah. Joni Mitchell. It's got that quality. You don't get albums like that anymore. You don't hear things like that. And it's, that's one of the things that really sets it apart for me from what, a lot of the stuff that I've been hearing lately. I
4: hear the world Seen his face before. He's hungry and I'm tired, can't keep him out much
0: more. Yeah, I think people like Carol King and Jim Croce, they were kind of writing songs with their eye on kind of immortality, if you know what I mean? They were writing, they weren't just writing songs for themselves. They were just writing songs, you know, and they were writing songs as songs. I mean, Carol, well, in fact, obviously, Carol King never thought of performing her own songs right. until relatively late in her career, you know? Yeah. And I guess I always felt like I wanted to, I wanted to write, to try to aspire anyway to write in that tradition. You know, I don't yeah. know, you know, my songs, whether they reach that quality, but that's what I'm aiming for. I'm aiming for immortality. Yeah. You know? I'm aiming... <laughs> I'd like other people to want to sing my songs, you know and yeah. and I write them with a view to maybe other people might want to sing them someday, and a few other people have not not as many as I'd like you
3: know <laughs> well uh, I
4: mean, um maybe, see if it gets more going. Well. <laughs>
3: well i i love I just love the the sonic quality of the album it just it reminds me a lot of the albums that I grew up on with that my my parents would play that seventies singer songwriter album there's just a, mm. a I, I can't even really put into words the sound it's just it's a warmth and a but a sparseness at the same time of of the album and it since it's just you it makes sense but you don't hear that very often anymore the albums aren't released like that anymore
0: yeah i i think you're right it's it's kind of i I don't know you know things have to move on and everything like that and maybe, maybe I'm a bit of a throwback. You know? <laughs> <laughs> that's ok. I, I like being this kind of throwback. <laughs> um, and if other people like it, too, that's even better,
4: you know,
3: and there's the version of the last song is beautiful mm. that that's <laughs>
4: heartbreaking <Yeah>. to me. <laughs> And then
3: there's the two new covers, which as an aside, you know, we can go into as much or as little of that as you want right now. We don't have to talk too much about that if it's too soon.
0: Oh uh, well, you know, I recorded. Uh, it was it was really lovely, and and actually, in view of what's happened yesterday, I'm 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 just so glad that it happened. You know, yeah. that um that Andrew Chapman, Michael Chapman's wife, got in touch with me around the time I was getting ready to record the Saint Burian sessions, and she said she was putting together a special album for his eightieth birthday, consisting of songs that he had written. Um, performed by all kinds of you know well-known artists that he'd worked with over the years you know um, people like Lucinda Williams and um, wow. oh, um, Steve Gunn and wow. um, Kurt Vile, Meg Baird you know wow. loads, of, loads of people all much cooler and much more well-known than I am so I was really kind of humbled and honored to be asked to contribute a song and and um, she said, What song would you like to do so I can, you know, hold it for you and make sure nobody else is recording it? And I said, I said Oh, could I do Rabbit Hills? Because it's always been one of my favorite songs in the world. I just love Even before I knew Michael, I loved that song. Yeah.
4: It's a long, long road from here down to the sea, but it's the only thing. the wave stones like jewels in your head or is it my and
0: um, it's just uh, something and so again it's it's got that timeless quality you know which well all of Michaels songs have those have that timeless quality. you know I would yeah. put him in the same category as Carol King and James Taylor and all those songwriters who just wrote songs that are timeless and beautiful you know and and that transcend any individual performer and uh i and i thought well i'll kill two birds with one stone you know since i'm i'm going into this beautiful space where there happens to be a beautiful grand piano and and i don't really want to try and make a recording of a of a michael Chapman song and play guitar right. because his guitar is so iconic i can't i'm not even going to touch it I'm, I'm just going to write a piano arrangement and play this beautiful grand piano yeah. and um and I asked her if it was okay if I put it on the new album as well as giving it to her to use on the CD, which is just a privately, it wasn't publicly released or anything, right. it's just this CD she made for his 80th birthday, and wow. and, uh, and she said yes, and, and I'm just so, so, so glad, and she and Michael have just both been such good friends to me, and I, I've still got his guitar on loan, um, I don't know if I, what's going to happen with that, yeah. but, you know, I'm, Buy it or something. I, I want. I don't want to give it back. Oh, <laughs> and, yeah. but it's, it's a beautiful guitar. But um, anyway, so so yeah. I'm, I recorded Rabbit Hills, and then there's another cover that I recorded that I haven't recorded before. Uh, Autumn leaves, which is a real classic. Yes, um, uh, classic song. i had been doing it in my live set for a while, and people kept saying, you know, have you recorded that? And I was like, okay, maybe maybe it's about time for me yeah. to do that. Well, I can sing it in French.
3: Yes. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> I I love the album. It's, it's like I said, it's just so warm and beautiful, and it's got a, a quality that you don't hear very often anymore. Have you gotten back to writing any originals since we're kind of in the, you know, a, a year and a half out of the COVID era?
0: I've got some half-written songs. I've got a lot of ideas for songs. Okay. I've, got, I've got a phone voice memos thing full of song ideas i just put down another one a couple of weeks ago i was sound checking for a gig and started playing a riff on the guitar Then we <laughs> quickly recorded it which is what i do you know yeah and um and i've got some lyrics as well that i'm kind of but i find i find with my albums the last two albums both if we dig any deeper and um, walking into white both of those albums the songs had a really long gestation partly I was so busy touring; I didn't have time to finish songs, and so I was accumulating song ideas for about two years before I um, before I ma- made both albums. And in both cases, I had to sit down and go, "Right, okay, studio time is booked. I better hurry up and finish these songs." And <laughs> and, and then at that point, it, you know, had like I don't know, fifty or sixty song ideas. Wow. To- go through and think okay what's going to be and some of them I'd start writing the song and go yeah no this isn't working I gotta leave it to one side and but at the end of the day I wound up with a collection of songs that really hung together and that was that were all written kind of with reference to each other where you know I maybe start a particular rhythm and go no that sounds too much like the rhythm of this other song I don't want two songs with that rhythm on the album you know right yeah okay you know so i kind of really liked that way of working so that i'm kind of i'm I'm kind of working on working that way a little bit again although on the other hand martin has suggested i make some eps for a change you know oh so they're, they're going backwards thing you know and with the, the convention is to make eps and then make an album uh, you know i've made a bunch of albums so i think i'm about ready for an ep <laughs> so i might do that we will see
3: well that's the way COVID's making things go people were you know over the past year and a half they've just been, it's just been a bunch of singles coming out yeah so maybe that's the way to go
0: yeah yeah maybe it is
3: you know where can people follow you online is there a, I know there's a website is there a social media presence where they can
0: oh absolutely yeah and how can yeah, they obviously- order the album <laughs> Okay, social media, I'm on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and all of the links for that are on SarahMcQuay.com which is my main website and there's also a link there to my YouTube channel which has videos of most of the tracks and we'll eventually have videos of all of them. Awesome. And uh, I'm just kind of dripping them out there. You know? <laughs> and then I'm on, the album is available for pre-order on Bandcamp and I've got all kinds of interesting stuff because it's not only going to be on CD, I'm doing... A limited edition double lp in nice gatefold sleeve all individually numbered on the outside oh, you know nice. it's, it's pretty cool it has it has to be a double lp because it's too much music to fit on a single single lp i like so, hearing uh, that yeah so it's that it's expensive to make i'm not gonna make it
4: <laughs> that's okay
0: <laughs> i just love i love vinyl you know yeah. oh, it's blue vinyl as well really Ooh. cool Blue oh, item. that's awesome and, um, so I've got that and I've got also got all kinds of stuff like t-shirts and tote bags <laughs> I <laughs> kind of went crazy but because I had all this artwork I thought I may as well put this artwork on stuff yeah so, so the tote bags and and I did um tea towels as well dish towels which have all of the all of the individual song doodles on them as well oh that's yeah. awesome That's kind of cool. Oh, and 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 nifty um, little USB sticks, which which have the song videos on them. Oh, really? Oh, that's so cool. I like that. Yeah. And engraved, they're wooden USB sticks engraved with my artwork. Oh man,
3: (laughs) you've really taken to this whole art thing.
0: Oh, I have. (laughs) (laughs) I know it's all very commercial, but it's all hand—it's all you know, handcrafted, you know, homemade. That's well, not home, home, home drawn. it over to a manufacturer <laughs> I and mean, the t-shirts and the tote bags the details are all proper silk screen there's none of none of your digital printing for me it's all oh, it's, it's real silk screen printing on, on nice cotton you know 100 cotton
3: oh well that's good i, I was afraid you're going to be hand drawing every tote bag that'd be a, no. little, that'd be a little much <laughs> no but
0: it is it is it is a silk screen so it should come out really looking really nice i think well
3: thank you so much for spending so much time with you i've kept you for a while it's been a wonderful getting to know you and and, and learning about all of the music and and what's behind it all. It's been wonderful.
0: Thank you so much, Mark. Thanks. Lovely to chat to you.
1: Nope. It doesn't matter if you're an avid exerciser or new to working out. Peloton can help you achieve your fitness goals. 92% stick with it. So can you. Try Peloton bikes, tread or row, risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only, not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com home dash trial. Progressive presents adjusting to the suburbs.
3: I never thought I'd care about gardening until I bought a house in the suburbs. But now I find myself in conversations about liquid fertilizer and I wonder, am I the fertilizer guy now? (laughs) No, no way. Everyone knows the ratio between phosphorus and nitrogen, right? Yeah, I'm still totally cool.
1: Anyway, when you save with Progressive by bundling your home and auto, that's the easy part of adjusting to the suburbs. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company coverage provided in service by affiliates and third-party insurers.